Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Oh boy, welcome back, Kyle Kingsbury. I just got back from Paul Check's 60th birthday out at the Rainbow House, the Rainbow Ranch, the Rainbow Estate. I don't even know what you call that place. It is, um, the Heaven House was magic. This place is magic <laughs> on a larger scale. I think he's got 17 acres out there. Um, what a beautiful, I mean, like the experience top to bottom, we, we did have a podcast and we dive into a bit of the, the experience there, but um, it was just phenomenal. I mean, just absolutely phenomenal. And I couldn't, I can't wait to talk about it. I'm not going to wait until his podcast release to talk about it. I want to talk about it now. Uh, incredible. It was so incredible to be around that many awesome people, Czech professionals, people, some of the people that I had met at the painting workshop. Um, just incredible, you know, and it, obviously we've, I've been thinking a lot about health. This show is a lot about health and such is life. And, um, you know, on Czech's 60th birthday party, it was a couple of days before he turned 60. <laughs> we were, we got a little workout in and he's wanted to move, you know? And so, um, I'm looking at the ranch and the houses and, and just dreaming into that and seeing like, oh, cool, man. This is, you know, if I continue on the trajectory, I too will, will have a, a seat at the table here. And, and uh, of course, well, I have a seat at the table with Paul for sure. But, um, and not that life is all about getting a big house and a ranch and all that shit, but I've been drawn to connecting to the land, to restore the land and have the land restore us and to live in harmony with nature. And I see that at Paul's place. It's a palpable feeling. The energetic resonance there is one that you feel. Everyone talks about it who goes there. Um, party was awesome, but Paul wanted to lift and I was like, fuck yeah, let's do it. You want a deadlift? He's like, yeah, let's deadlift. So we're deadlifting and we're working up nice and slow, doing mobility and core work in between sets, not, not going crazy. And, you know, I haven't lifted heavy in a while. I've been doing easy strength. And this isn't, remember, heavy is, is uh, subjective. You know, it's, it's, um, there, there's some objective heavy, right? If you deadlift over a thousand pounds, that kind of thing. Chris Duffin, thousand pound deadlift, thousand pound squat. Yes, that's heavy, heavy weight. But um, heavy for me, you know, it's moving some decent weight. If there's three plates on the bar, whether that's bench or, or otherwise squat deadlift, that's, that's moving some weight. It's not credit. It's not, I'm not PRing at any point right now in my life. I'm nearly 40. Paul turned 60, right? So we work up to 365 um, just to not go crazy, but move some, some weight, you know, something to get us a little sore and I, I would think I pulled a couple sets of six, you know, and it really just stick to that five to six rep range. Paul's doing sets of 10 to 12 all the way up at 60 years old with 365. He easily could have gone up to 405 and knocked out a set of 10 or 12 and not been pushing it too hard. Beltless, strapless, <laughs> like, you know, for a powerlifter, that's probably not a lot of weight, but for a regular ass human being or for an athlete whose sole focus is not deadlifting, um, I'm just blown away, man. I'm continually impressed. Every time I work out with Paul, I'm continually impressed by um, not only his physical structure. I mean, he 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 calls me Adonis, but that dude, I mean, I'm going to grow up to be like Paul Check. There's no two ways about it. Um, but enough swinging from... Paul checks balls. I could do that all podcast. Uh, absolutely love you, Paul. Thank you for having me out there. Got to see Mike Salemi, Shervin, Jeff Feria, and his beautiful partner, Jamie. Um, so too many to list. Uh, Wade Lightheart, lots of guys that have been on this podcast, had incredible conversations with all of them. 
and um, really dove into the important conversation around the world burning right now. Uh, not on this episode, though. This episode is with Corey Schlesinger, and Corey is a guy I first heard from, from Mark Bell, another dope dude in the strength game, um, who's telling me about this this strength coach who was the the head strength coach at Stanford's men's basketball. And I was like, interesting. You're, you know, and Mark's, Mark's a crafty dude. He's always, he learned from anybody, right? That's, that's a, a true testament to somebody who uh, has some wisdom is they recognize that, that their holes in their game, maybe the things they're not looking at. Mark, Mark once said on this podcast, the best form of training is the training you're not doing. Meaning if you are very one-dimensional in your approach to working out, that it's likely the things that you're not doing that will give you the most bang for your buck and the best gains, and then then circle back into that. You know, the, we really dive into that in that podcast. But Corey's been on my radar for a long time, and you know, we had quarantine and all the bullshit hit, so that that made it very hard to get us on the podcast together. Since you know all this has transpired, he's become the head strength coach for the Phoenix Suns basketball team. Absolutely incredible. Well-deserved. Um, and he's working with a very unique uh, spe- sports-specific population on things, but it actually translates incredibly well. One of the things that, you know, I, I listened to his podcast uh, with Mark Bell. One of the things that was curious to me was how much of this training actually does translate to common folk and um, or the uh, general population, right? Well, it's, I, I use that term. I used to use it kind of funny, you know, like um, poking fun at the general population, but I'm, I am a part of the general population. I mean, not, not like in a literal sense. I mean, physically I look a certain way and I, I obviously have maybe a little bit more strong than most people, but very much so I don't train like I used to. And I haven't trained like that in seven years since I retired. Uh, I've been doing a lot of easy strength. I've been talking about that on this podcast. We dive into all of that stuff on this podcast. There are some very awesome takeaways from this that I think people will really be able to grasp and hold on to in terms of how you train the body uh, for proper movement mechanics, how you stay athletic long into your life, and how you get the most bang for your buck, the minimum effective dose without overdoing it. Because especially if you're a parent, you know, a householder, as Emily Fletcher says, you know, you you really don't have a whole lot of extra time to just hang out doing 30 minutes of warm up with the roller and the the hyper ice or whatever hypervolt whatever thing you've got percussion instrument. Um people don't have that much time. I certainly don't. I got kids, I got a job, I have multiple jobs actually. Uh and they're all great. I absolutely love it. I love my schedule. I love my life, but it is hectic and it doesn't leave a whole lot of time for me. So figuring out minimum effective dose has become a requirement to make sure my body can stay in the game. And as long as my body's in the game, I'm operating my best mentally and emotionally as well. We get into all that stuff. Corey is an awesome, awesome dude. I picked up a lot from him. I will most certainly have him back on down the road. Um, I know you guys are going to dig this one, so I'll leave it there and jump right into the sponsors who make this show absolutely possible. And the great thing about today's ad reads is that every single one of these has a positive impact on the body, on your emotions, and on your mental state of being. All of them do. So we're going to start it off right here with higher dose. Heal at home or on the go with higher doses, portable infrared sauna blanket. Experience the powerful benefits of infrared and feel the difference after just one session. That's right. One session. Infrared increases blood flow for faster recovery, 
better sleep, and a calmer central nervous system. Plus, it naturally releases a dose of happy chemicals in the brain, leaving you feel euphoric. This is 100% true. It's why I use it every night when I read to Bear, or we've been watching the Harry Potters. We watched uh, Order of the Phoenix last night, and I was laying on that thing the whole time. The sauna blanket is an amethyst layer to deepen the benefits of infrared, a tourmaline layer that generates negative ions, and a charcoal layer to bind to pollutants, and a clay layer, which is balancing for the heat. If you don't have the budget or the room for a full-size sauna, the sauna blanket is a game changer. That's worth repeating. A lot of people bitch about the cost of some of these things, and rightfully so. Like I lived in my mom's garage for five years with Tosh. When I, we brought Bear home from the hospital, it was to my mom's garage. So I know... If the budget isn't there, talking about high gadget, high dollar gadget gizmos and things like that is is annoying. It is. I know a lot of people complained about that in Ben Greenfield's big book. You know, like, hey, this guy might be nice if he owned all this shit. If you were rich, like, I get it. What's great about this is it's one hundred percent cost effective, especially in contrast to an infrared sauna or a full size finished sauna like I have. This is the move. For those of you who want to experience the benefits of infrared without the sweat, they also have a really cool infrared PEMF mat that comes in two sizes. This is actually what I'm laying on when I'm reading or watching movies. It combines the dual technology of infrared with PEMF for an unbelievable recharging experience. PEMF stands for Pulsed Electromagnetic Field, and it works by sending electromagnetic waves through your body at different frequencies to help promote your body's own recovery process. You will feel relaxed, regrounded, and rebalanced. What makes their mat so unique is that not only does it combine the infrared with PEMF, but it also has a thick layer of 100% natural purple amethyst crystals, just like the other one goes all the way through. This uh, amplifies it and helps the body really get a deep sense of healing. The smaller mat fits comfortably in an office chair so you can recharge while you're sitting on your ass working, whereas the regular size mat, which is what I've got, is great for stretching, doing yoga, meditating, or even just chilling and watching TV. Harry Potter, folks. Word Voldemort is real. Whether you deal with chronic pain, work out frequently, or just need a moment to relax, lying on their mats for even a couple of minutes each day will help ease your mind and body from the inside out. Get your own infrared sauna blanket or infrared PEMF mat at higherdose.com today and use the exclusive promo code KKP75 at checkout to save 75 bucks. That's H-I-G-H-E-R-D-O-S-E.com. Exclusive code KKP at checkout. Higherdose.com slash KKP will send you right there. And the perfect compliment, the yin to the yang, is a company called Cold Plunge. Cold Plunge is something um, that I've been into for a very long time. I've been talking, maybe not very long, but at least five years. I've been talking about Wim Hof. I've been talking about breath work. And I've certainly been talking about cold adaptation. A lot of people try the 30-day challenge where you take an ice or a cold shower. That's cool in the winter, especially if you live in the Pacific Northwest or you know upstate New York where you actually get cold water. But most time of the year, the cold shower isn't doing anything for you physiologically. It's more, it's all mental. Actually getting into a cold plunge will change your physiology. It will change the chemistry in your brain. It will change your adaptation to fat loss. It will enhance your metabolic rate. It will do a whole host of things physically, mentally, and emotionally that in my opinion, is unsurpassed by any other technology. This, remember, the best biohacks on the planet are the ones that tune us back into the seasons, nature. Did this occur in real life somewhere? Fuck yeah. For thousands of years, we've cut holes in ice and we've jumped in to show how crazy we were so we could get laid or whatever the case was. Just maybe it was all bros and it was to show who was more manly than the next. 
I have no idea. But we have been experiencing cold throughout history. Uh, we've been experiencing heat throughout history. Will, Dr. Will Tegel told me that they didn't have air conditioning in the state of Texas until like nine, the late 1960s. I can't imagine. I can, I can imagine going outside and hanging out all day long without AC. I've done it plenty of times here in Texas. But to sleep without it, crazy. During the snowpocalypse, when the highest temperature was in the 20s, and I know a lot of people that are from colder regions have it worse, but imagine not having a heater. Imagine not having electricity. That's how we did it for many, many, many generations. And uh, we were exposed to cold. So this is the way we tap back into that. And there's something that reconnects us when we tap back in. And there's a whole host of stuff that I don't need to get into, but in lowering inflammation, improving cognition. Um, you know, Rhonda Patrick's talked a lot about heat shock proteins. They call them cold shock proteins for the cold. I think it's, you know, likely one of the same things. It's going to lower all cause mortality, lower all cause mortality. Any way you can die. The most common ways from cancer to metabolic syndrome to neurodegenerative diseases, all of this is affected through temperature. If we improve our resiliency to temperature extremes, that improves outcome across the board. And this is one of my favorite ways to do it because you can do it in very little time. Again, minimum effective dose. If I've got two minutes in the morning, so before I have to run out the door, I can jump in the cold plunge get out, grab my cup of coffee on the go with a quick dry off, and I am ping switched on for the rest of the day. It also has the ability to reset my circadian rhythm, which we're going to get into in the next ad read. Circadian rhythm, very, very important. This plunge is incredible. Um, it looks gorgeous. Indoors, outdoors, it is super easy to clean. It has one of the best filtration systems on the planet within it, and it keeps that water clean and cold around the clock. Set my temp down to 39 degrees Fahrenheit, and it runs there all day long and night. I can get in at any point in time. The water's clean and ready to go. Check it out at thecoldplunge.com slash pages slash KKP. That is thecoldplunge.com slash pages slash KKP, and use code KKP at checkout for $111 off. We are also brought to you by 8Sleep Pod Pro. 8Sleep is a company that makes beds and they make sleep pod pros that cover your bed, your existing bed, so you don't have to buy a new mattress if you don't want to. And it's going to run cold water through it and it does this at intervals throughout the night that change with your circadian rhythm. So this stuff is, is absolutely insane. Have you ever heard that you need to sleep at 68 degrees Fahrenheit? Well, that's a myth. Science suggests that there is no one universal sleep temperature to give you deep and high quality sleep. Moreover, our sleeping temperature needs to change throughout the night as body temperature affects both your circadian rhythm and sleep quality. This is, this is important. I've been saying this since, since I started podcasting. There's no one-size-fits-all approach to training. There's no one-size-fits-all approach to diet. And for the last year and a half, I've been saying there's no one-size-fits-all approach to pharmaceutical medicine and prescriptions. Hello? There, there, come on. <laughs> there is no one-size-fits-all approach to vaccines. Come on, guys. There is, damn, for damn sure, no one-size-fits-all approach to sleep. And this is, uh, this is a really important factor because sleep regulates so much in our body. Rob Wolf once talked about the fact that if you're not getting enough sleep, you're cock-blocking your fat loss. Uh, 
Well, you, I would also throw in your cock blocking your immune system. Sleep is your time for rest and digest. It is your time to build muscle, burn fat, heal connective tissue. It is your time to clear out tau proteins and beta amyloid plaque from the brain, reducing your risk for, for degenerative diseases. Almost said regenerative there. Uh, degenerative uh, brain disease like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and dementia. That all gets cleaned out. The street sweeper comes in at night. Okay. And your immune system is directly related to your sleep at night. So we got to maximize this stuff. All these ideas about I'll sleep when I'm dead and all that shit. It's like, well, that may be coming sooner than later if you keep foregoing sleep. Very important we get a good night's sleep. And this is the best hack for sleep period. Now I have the whole setup. I have the bed as well as the pod pro that goes on top. The bed, in my opinion, because I'm a side sleeper, it is a firm mattress. I love firm. Absolutely love it. I sleep on my sides. My son loves it. And you know, we, we sleep on this thing together sometimes. What's great about this mattress is that both sides, uh, the sleep pod pro rather, both sides can be at different temperatures. So if my wife it runs a little cold and likes to sleep warmer than I do and wants all the covers on her and I and I'm hot and need a little cooler it's actually going to work with both of us perfectly and the temperature of the pod pro will adjust each side of the bed based on your sleep stages biometrics and bedroom temperature reacting intelligently to create the optimal sleeping environment the result eight sleep users fall asleep up to 32% faster reduce sleep interruptions by 40% and get overall more restful sleep which equates to more fat loss, better recovery, better brain, better immune system. And this is all just incredible. You can go to 8sleep.com. That's E-I-G-H-T-S-L-E-E-P.com slash KKP to check out the Pod Pro and save $150 at checkout using the promo code KKP. 8sleep.com slash KKP. Last but not least, my boy Barton Scott was on the podcast And he was talking about UpgradedFormulas.com. Upgraded Formulas is a company that does hair mineral analysis. And they basically will look at your hair and see what is it that your body's actually absorbing. This is better than the snapshot of blood work. Blood work's good for a lot of things. But to see what your body's actually taking in and using to build itself, because we're building ourselves when we have hair and nails and things of that nature, Hair mineral analysis will see what are you actually absorbing? Are you absorbing enough zinc? Are you absorbing enough copper? Is the ratio in right balance? This is a critical part. A lot of people throw the kitchen sink at themselves with supplements. They're not sure what's landing. If you're not checking, you're guessing. If you're not checking, you're guessing. So you take this test, get the results back, and you can see for yourself firsthand, is something low? Do I need to raise something? Are my, are my ratios off on certain critical nutrients? My salt was through the roof and my potassium was low. What that can lead to is adrenal fatigue. And I was loading up salt when I got into the sauna and that was throwing it off even further because I don't eat a whole lot of potassium. It's not, I don't eat a whole lot of fruit. Sometimes I have some berries and avocado, but that's about it. Uh, occasionally some nuts. I think potassium's in nuts, but for the most part, I was getting way more salt than I needed. And as I dropped that and continued to salt my food, but not my water, lo and behold, all my energy improved. And I would get out of the sauna and I'd be able to do a whole lot, whatever I wanted to do the rest of the day. Whereas before it was even getting so much of the problem that my wife, Tosh, would be like, hey, why don't you not sauna today? We have a lot to do later. Because she knew I would be fucking flatlined getting out of the sauna. That was because the ratio of salt to potassium was off. I found this out from UpgradedFormulas.com and my conversation with Barton Scott. Uh, Check out the episode I did with Barton. He has an incredible story, uh, was a wrestler, really, really cool shit. Um, But what he's done here 
is fantastic because it allows people to take a deep dive into themselves and understand what's going on. Is all the money I'm spending each month on supplements actually worth it? What is working? What is not? And do I have heavy metals? This is a big one. Do I have heavy metal toxicity? Uh, There's a lot of metals going around in the medications getting served up these days. You can actually see for yourself what's in your system right now. So check all this stuff out, upgradedformulas.com and save 15% on your first purchase with code KKP15 at checkout. That's KKP15 at checkout. And uh, UpgradedFormulas.com is going to have the test and they're going to have all sorts of really cool minerals you can add to your water. I've been adding iodine and uh, upgraded thyroid as well as upgraded memory to myself, my wife, and Bear's water. And uh, we all love it. I mean, you can feel the difference. There's no doubt about it. Love these guys. Love you all. Thank you for supporting our sponsors. And, And I love Corey Schlesinger. Just a great dude. So without further ado, here we go. Yeah, these chairs are nice. That, this is what I got accustomed to. You know, they got the new table and the new chairs, and it's like, ah, oh, that's cool, but these old ones are pretty fucking nice. Yeah, I feel like that's with a lot of things, though, right? Like, I feel the same way with, like, strength equipment. Some of the old stuff, it's like the feel. It's always better. I don't know. I feel like they just they had more actual strength athletes using them or mm. building them back then than they do now. You know, now it's just mass, mass, mass. Just produce as much as possible. But like the craftsmanship back in the day, that's, it feels it feels like the people that actually made it trained. And that's, yeah, that's the difference, you know. Yeah, and maybe there was like some some etheric woo woo energy put into them from like 100%. all the badass dudes that picked up a dumbbell or picked yeah. up you know like that iron carries the resonance of all the people who lifted it. I think like even the machines. That's mm-hmm. a crazy thing. Like the old pre core machines in the eighties. Oh my god. Some of the best machines ever. And I never thought I'd be pumped about machines, but... That's that- right. I was just re-listening to you on uh, the Mark Bell's PowerCast, which was phenomenal. Oh, yeah. It was like two and a half hours of solid gold. I'll link to, we'll link to it in the show notes. And um, you were talking about that, how you got, how you're like, you know, I never thought I'd say this, but I'm really into machines, you know? Yeah. And, and like, I want to, I want to get in the meat and potatoes of all the training style that you're doing now. Um, so much of it correlates with, with my trajectory from football, working with house to fighting in MMA, overdoing it completely. Then like saying, fuck all that. I'm, I don't want to do anything hard. And then it was like, oh, but I get to train with Burdick. All right, we're going to train hard. Right. You know, and then after that, um, coming out here and remembering Easy Strength by Pavel Tatsulin and Dan John. Absolutely. And like what you're doing with that, you know, it's the, the, the one lift every day that we, I was like, Oh God, that's like Steve justice single. So I want to, I want to dive into all that good shit. But first I want to learn about you. I want to know what got you into strength training, strength coaching. And you know, it's funny because for strength coaches, like you being passionate about being stronger and movement mechanics and things of that nature Movement mechanics for sure, because you're working with some of the best athletes in the world. But I wouldn't think, like, if I was going to be a strength coach, basketball players wouldn't be like, this is where I'll finish. This is my pinnacle. You know, like, sure, they are some of the best athletes in the world. But I'd be like, give me football players, give me power lifters, give me sprinters, you know, like that kind of thing. Like Charlie Francis, you know, like you want to work with Ben Johnson, somebody like that. Like, you want to train outputs. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to see those outputs, (laughs) which is lifting heavy shit and running really fast. I totally get that. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, it was actually my mother. Uh, so I grew up, my mom raised me and my brother, 
a single family home and my mom is who got me into training and it was uh do you remember nautilus equipment Mm -hmm. so their manufacturer was like just down the street from us so we actually had nautilus gyms i don't know if me, you, you see Ooh, the whole gym was not the whole gym was Nautilus. It was called Nautilus and everything. So it was just all the like the chain, like the bicycle chain link type machines. And so it was like 12, 13 years old. And my mom, she trained like a savage. It made no sense, too. I mean, we're in like bumfuck, <laughs> you know, Virginia, you know, like there's no nowhere around. Like, is that what became 24 hour fitness? Wouldn't they used oh, to be 24 hour Nautilus? That might be. I have no I, idea. I'm sure the mind pump guys know that answer. For sure. For yeah. sure. But yeah, we're out. I mean, we're out in the sticks. And my mom, she's an artist, you know? And so she, I mean, we really didn't have any connection necessarily with the community. So for her, she like, she trained. And that, that's who got me into training, 12 years old, my own mother. And so that's when I started lifting. And it was obviously for the aesthetics, right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's get on the machines. Like, let's do this. How and, old are you? Uh, right now, I'm 34. Okay, yeah. so you still got hit with the Arnold era, Hulk Hogan, yeah. and, and fucking Stallone. But like, yeah. man, the movies like back then were so awesome. I even rewatch them now, and I'm like, yeah, like, Commando I, still hits. Facts, it's still good. Facts. It's still great. All of them still hit. Um, but yeah, that's how I got into training initially, and then, but it was really like the N one mixtape. That's what drew me to like, like my like I guess the creative outlet. Like I loved just the flash and the I guess the theatrics of you know, that kind of movement in basketball. And so I went all in in basketball from that point and was lucky to earn a scholarship to go play at the lowest level of college basketball. <laughs> like the absolute, <laughs> I call it extra high school basketball, but it's, it got me out of where I was currently living in uh, Virginia and got me into Kentucky, which it's comparable. <laughs> I was going to say, is that, was that an update? I mean, it certainly is now. Did I praise the fuck out of Kentucky yes. and Senator Rand Paul? Thank you. I'm bowing to you, brother. Thank you. Keep up the good fight. <laughs> but yeah, Kentucky's different, man. It's, it's, it's the same, but it's different. But it was, a, it was a cool liberal arts college. And man, I, all my blessings go to that place because they had the coolest system. They had an internship program. And mainly that school's mission was for like poor Appalachian kids. That was the cool part about that school. It's it's also known as the free school. Like if you Google free school, people like that's the one they refer to because there's no tuition there, and so they just have great donations, and that's how they keep the school afloat. And so the mission's obviously for poor Appalachian kids, and they have these internship programs that they actually pay for me to go do. Like it ain't me just volunteering necessarily. Like they support me to go do those internships, and of course they give you a little grade. You come back, you do a little presentation, but. At the age of 18, I got unbelievable experience in Division One sports, and I was able to go to Wake Forest University. And that's where I met Ethan Reeve, who is a savage. A dude was like a national champion wrestler, but um, he's he's uh, the godfather of density training, if you will. And so he's the one who introduced me to you know your typical Olympic lifts, powerlifting. And so I go back to Berea College, right? And at that level, we don't have strength coaches. So it's like, Corey, you've, you know, did an internship for three or four months. You're now the new strength coach. <laughs> so now I'm the team strength coach, like a Jackie Moon situation, right? So player slash coach. But every summer from that point, I got to do more and more internships. So then I got to go to University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, obviously a notorious men's basketball program in college. And that's where I really took off as far as understanding what training and like the foundation is for my mentor, Jonas Ration. Oh, all credit to him. I mean, the dude's absolutely brilliant. And so, yeah, and then 
just bouncing around at that point because I didn't know if I wanted to stay in college basketball because as a player, I didn't really love the game as much as I thought I did. Like I, I really didn't like basketball when I was playing it. And that was like the shame. Like I, I thought I loved it and then I got into it and it was like, uh, like it's, it's not that serious at this level and guys aren't taking it that serious so I'm not going to take it that serious. Our culture really wasn't set. And then I found my way back into it and that's where my passion really started. And that's when I was like, oh my God, I love basketball. And so don't get me wrong, outputs are cool. Like seeing fast athletes and strong athletes, don't get me wrong, that, that little time that I had at the Olympic Training Center, it was the coolest thing in the world seeing those guys do stuff. But basketball, just it's something that I resonated with. It's it's something that I initially fell in love with. And so to me, it was it just seemed it just seemed up real nice. And so yeah, there spent 10 years in college basketball after that. So I was a direct, uh, the director at Santa Clara University. Uh, I was 23 years old. Had no idea what I was doing. Like that was the ultimate learn that by failure. Learn by failure experience, you know. So I failed tremendously well. <laughs> <laughs> so I gained a lot of experience because of my young failures, but um after that I got the uh, the call to go to university or excuse me, the University of Alabama Birmingham, which I thought I lived in the south, like being in Virginia. But now that's the deep south and Alabama's different. <laughs> but that was probably the most fun I've ever had in my life. Like I love the city of Birmingham. Uh, but I was extremely fortunate. We won two championships in three years, was able to get a uh, high major job at Stanford University. Uh, so we jumped ship, go to Stanford. And yeah, after there, three years in the most unique, like brilliant setting you can possibly imagine. I mean, the people that you just rubbed shoulders with on a daily basis was insane and the resources now not financially resources but just brilliance you know you just walk by walk by these professors i mean even the students like you have 16 year old savants just walking around and you're just like what is going on here even the players i mean that was the coolest part with the athletes were so brilliant that you're having conversations with them about quantum physics and i'm sitting there just learning like i got my notepad <laughs> out just listening to them talk i'm like that's amazing um but in all the podcasts I've done over the past 10 years, I think in 90% of them, I always get asked the question, like, would you ever do the NBA? And I say no every time. I, I never wanted to do the NBA. I didn't think it was, it wasn't a passion of mine. Like, I enjoyed the 17 to 22-year-olds that I helped try to groom become men. And that was, like, the mission. Like, we just used the vessel of strength and conditioning to get that done. Because that's really what I needed. I didn't have that in my college experience. It was just, we're just running around like chickens with their heads cut off, just trying to figure it out, you know? So it was like me trying to train myself. Mm. That's really what my coaching was. Like, I, like I'm like, that, that's me. I'm that kid. I'm that kid that's just immature. I'm that kid that just had no guidance. Like, so it's like, that was my driving force was literally, I'm trying to teach these kids or coach these kids based because I'm really trying to go back in time and coach myself. And then stars were in alignment and the Phoenix Suns call and whew, it's different. <laughs> it's another, it's just that jump is significant. But I, I think the most beautiful thing about all of it is from low major to mid major, high major to professional sports, I never stuck to a certain philosophy. It always changed based off the population that I had, the environment that I was set in. And that's the thing that I think, if I can give any advice to any string coaches, it's like, you should never have a set philosophy. There's some things that are set in science, absolutely. Like, 
tested since the time of day. Like lift heavy stuff, you get stronger. Got it, right? But depending on where you are and the people that you're working with and the environment that's set and the environment you, cre- you can create, that should be your philosophy. So it should always be changing. Hell yeah. I love that, brother. Talk about some of the changes. You know, like Mark brought up the, uh, the, the point that not, it's, it's an interesting thing when you grapple with the fact that not everyone is about it. Not everyone's <laughs> like, oh, I can't wait to fucking strength train. You know, like I, I, I was scratching my head. I remember being, because I walked on at ASU and, and sat the bench, you know, for two years, but I made travel squad and um, I loved it. And I loved strength training and and it really blew me away to see that some people would show up late. And if they showed up late, house would have us do fucking up downs the entire time until they got there. So they're five minutes late. It's five minutes of up downs. That's like the the whole team suffered. Like (laughs) we wouldn't let that shit go on, but (laughs) there were people who didn't give a fuck, you know, and that was at the college level. And, um, you know, I, I will not name names and we can probably connect dots, but you know, coaches that I had in college that went on to the NFL been a couple of them also felt that resistance of like, whoa, I, I got to the NFL. Like this is fucking prime time. Right. There should be nobody that doesn't <laughs> see the benefit of this. And wow, it turns out there's a lot of people that don't see the benefit of this. And there's a lot of people that have ridiculous God-given talent and it could be maximized, but they don't, they want to rest on the talent and they don't necessarily see the benefit of weight training. How has that changed for you? I mean, you, you just spoke a bit about it. Um, I know I have crossover from this podcast to the power, the power cast, but probably not a ton. And it's been a while since you were on that. Sure. Talk, talk a bit about that. What, what was it like in terms of the, the culture at Stanford? Was there buy-in? How did you get buy-in? And how has that changed now being with the Suns? Yeah, Stanford was different because, I mean, that's the ultimate form of compliance. You know, you had kids that to get there, what did they have to do? They had to jump through every single hoop imaginable just to get in through the admissions process. Right, and like that's the difference between all the other schools I was at is they just got in because they're good at basketball. But to get into Stanford, that was a totally different animal in itself. Right, like we had guys that were Valley Victorians and had all these extracurriculars, and they still couldn't get in. You know, and that's and they and they were good at basketball. So that's where our selection pool is really small. Thus, the kids that we brought in were pretty significant as far as they knew that for them it's a process. A lot of people don't understand what a process even is until they're in a culture where there is a process to be built. So for instance, if you're coming in, you're just awesome at basketball, you can get like C pluses in school and still get by, AKA me. Like that. And now once again, I wasn't awesome at basketball, but it was enough to get to the, that next level. Uh, but that, that's not a process, right? That's like you just hooping with your friends and having fun, right? That's just you getting exposure and you just have enough talent to get by. And that was the interesting part about being at those other schools was oh, we had to strip all that away. So you had to create humility. And you do that through, and that's the greatest thing about basketball players. Most of them have extremely long levers. So that makes them terrible weightlifters. More than likely, that's why they hate lifting weights. So thus, if they hate it, well, how can I get them to actually enjoy the process? And that's where a lot of more unconventional training makes sense because these are the things that actually work for them. And it's, like I'm trying to make a seven foot dude feel like a five foot ten guy. How do I do that? Well, hack field squatting is a great op- opportunity for that. Machines are also another great opportunity. But zercher squats. Like when's the last time you've seen people go? Yeah, man, I'm so pumped to do these zercher squats. No one. 
but you put the bar in a seven footer's hand and it I fills. think we actually need to explain that to my listeners. For sure. I'm my, sorry. Yeah. My, uh, less than 1% play basketball, <laughs> but probably less than the basketball players <laughs> listening to this know what a fucking Zerkshire squad is. I've pictured it in my head and I'm like, yeah, that's a badass movement. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. They might not know. <laughs> I, I don't think, I think, I think we lost some people. You're right. It's so, a great squad. So a Zercher is like, to me, it's like the most like, brute strength squat you can possibly do. Um, so what it is, you actually front load the uh, the barbell like you would see a front squat. The only difference is you put it in the cracks of your elbow or the crooks of your elbow. So the imagine you're just basically doing a bear hug and you're squeezing onto this very small diameter bar, right? Which is digging into your arms like you wouldn't believe. And so thus, yeah, we can add cushions and we can add whatever we want to make it more comfortable but at the end of the day i don't know that's exactly what we want to create because we want to create some badassery right and you got to do that by being in uncomfortable situations but if you're seven foot tall and you put a bar on your back i mean the sheer forces alone and the biomechanics that go behind that it's like yeah that's uncomfortable enough so once i can put that bar or kettlebell or whatever in their center of mass man it becomes a lot easier to do that type of pattern so the zercher squat was perfect for that and it builds a hell of an upper back which is what 90% of the population suffers from not having enough of it anyways. So there, I'm getting a lot of bang for my buck as it is. So yeah, that's what a Zercher squat is. <laughs> Put the bar in the crook of your elbows, have it into your center mass, you bear, hug it, and then you squat up and down. Um, but yeah, like these things, I got to create solutions. And that's the, I think the most beautiful part about working with basketball in the world of strength training is because you are constantly or circulating for solutions for the, their problems, which is unbelievable levers, coordination, you know, and their training age is usually pretty small. So you can do a lot with them and get a lot of benefits quickly. That's the cool thing about it. Now, to me, to be a really good strength coach, I mean, to take strong athletes and make them stronger, that's a really good strength coach. To have like a 100-meter sprinter, like a world-class 100-meter sprinter, and get them to cut a tenth of a second off their 100-meter, like you're a really good sprint coach. To be a basketball strength coach, it, you can make anybody stronger. Like that is so easy, it's ridiculous, right? Like it doesn't matter what vessel you give it to them in. My goal is to give them a vessel that is contagious. Like that vessel that I got to them is like, I want more of that. Like you put me in an environment that I feel like I can get better and not, I'm fighting this. Like there's, this, there's a psychological aspect that, I mean, I try to think, and this is where I got some help from some other things, but if you can put yourself in a state of mind where you had a seven foot two wingspan, like just really just like imagine like, okay, I'm, I got a seven foot two wingspan. I, I'm adding another forearm length to my forearm and let's bench press. What would that feel like? It'd be pretty awful. Do the same thing with your femur. Like just add another femur length and then squat. Yeah. My back would hurt too. Like I would not feel comfortable in that position either. So you know, the ability to be able to kind of like jump into their body and feel and try to do everything you can to feel what that feels like, then yeah, you might want to find some other solutions. And that's where like trap bars come in. I think trap bars are one of those amazing tools, especially for long levered athletes. But these things are what you have to do, in my opinion, to be like a good basketball strength coach. Yeah, that makes sense. And you're, you're doing so much more to create... Um, movement patterns and reconnect you know you, you talked about 
basketball players are, are taught now to specialize such an early age that they've missed ever being on the ground, you know, and you're for taking sure. them to the wrestling mats and jujitsu mats and you're getting them on the ground and you're doing tumbling exercises. Unpack some of that because these, these basic movement mechanics, like I, and, and Czech didn't create this, but he, you know, Paul Czech's a mentor of mine. He's been on this podcast more than anyone else. He talked about that, you know, infant motor patterns and systems and movement systems that are just so in infant child development so critical and having two kids now, like I'm paying attention to all that shit. And I'm like, Oh wow. They're just doing it on their own. Like our little girl's one. And, um, she thinks it's really funny to sprawl and then push herself away from whatever she's facing. Interesting. And I was like, that's exactly what you do for <laughs> takedown defense. Right. Right. Like most people just sprawl, but you know, you're supposed to move away right. from the legs and she even turns, you know, like people, for people that aren't watching this, which is most of you, she'll like zigzag, as she pushes away, she's like changing angles. She knows she's I'm changing like, what angles. What the fuck is this? Like, is this, is there like a jump that she's happens ready. here? Like, is this in the collective consciousness that she's just born with the ability to defend takedowns that I never had? Right. I know she didn't get it from me. I didn't have that takedown defense. But um, like movement patterns like that, that are just inherent to kids when we give them an environment to work with that. But if you're, you know, playing on blacktops and basketball courts that aren't necessarily ground friendly and you're always lanky. Right. It's probably not the best thing to be like, oh man, I want to get on my ground and army crawl on this fucking hard <laughs> surface and cheese grade my forearms, you know? I think that's the deal, right? Like I think environment shapes everything. Like don't get me wrong, like whatever we come out out as as an organism, it is what it is, but environment literally does shape everything. For instance, if we're just looking at ground contacts, ground contact times alone, if I'm running on grass, if I'm running on turf, if I'm running on hardwood, and I'm running on concrete. I'm going to have different ground contact times. And because of that, I'm going to create different adaptations. So my stiffer tissues are going to become more, more compliant or my compliant tissues are going to become more stiff. And so, yeah, when these guys are playing on hardwood surfaces and AAU tournaments all year round, and then they go and play high school basketball for a second, and then they jump into you know college, yeah, they, they skipped everything <laughs> and as far as, hey, this is actually how a good human moves, <laughs> much less a basketball player. Now, don't get me wrong. All the things that they develop, those stiffness qualities, help them from a reactive standpoint, and that's what makes them special. But at the end of the day, its longevity is what's going to get you to the next level. Like you got to be able to reproduce those efforts. And so for me, it's like, well, I'm not worried about you being a better basketball player. Someone else does that. I'm worried about making you a better human. So let's go backwards in time. And it actually started with Ethan Reeve when I first uh, was at Wake Forest. I was watching warm-ups and he had offense and defense alignment doing like car wheels and tumbling. And I'm like, these are fat dudes <laughs> with feet above their head, right? And they're like looking good. And I just thought that was wild. I was like, why is this like 350-pound dude, like one-hand somersaults? And I'm sitting there like, are you like, are you kidding me? And then so I pull him aside. You know, I'm stupid. I'm young, 18. I'm like, so why is that necessary? He's like, Corey, they fall every play. Don't you think it's a good idea for them to be comfortable around the ground? I was like, absolutely. I'm going to go walk away, take my notes, and <laughs> just leave you alone. And so, noted, sorry. Noted. And then uh, it wasn't until years later I revisited that, mainly because in my head I was like, well, it's about bigger, faster, stronger. Like, we just got to squat, got to deadlift, got to clean, got to snatch. And then in, when I got to Santa Clara, we did one drill, and it's when they, you know, they roll the ball. And when they roll the ball, you got to go dive for it. And when I saw these kids dive for it, I was like, oh. it's like them fa falling down a flight of stairs. 
or you know what I mean? And I'm sitting there like, how do they not smoothly like transition? I was like, oh, they don't know how. Like it's an actual skill. Like this is something they just don't know how to do. And when you take charges, what's the first thing people do? Especially when they're not used to falling backwards, they put their hands behind them, which is probably the worst thing you can do. I mean, wrist, elbows, shoulders, just trashed. So they, they don't know how to absorb force without using their hands to, to support them. So then that's when I started realizing, like, I might need to start really taking, like, well, who does do that the most? And it's like, oh, gymnastics, wrestling, judo, jujitsu, like all these other types of forms of uh, martial arts. So I need to start learning from those. And that's probably where more of my holistic approach really started, uh, really started forming was, you know what, like, maybe just doing sports stuff is not good for them. Maybe I just need to steal from all these other disciplines. I've stolen from ballet. Like I've stolen from anywhere that you think where human performance can come from because to be honest with you, giving them what they already do is kind of like just beating the beating a dead horse. Like, oh, let's jump basketball players more. Why? They jump already. <laughs> they, they jump on hardwood. Like, why do I need to do more jumping with them? What I need to do is get them more degrees of freedom or more degrees of variability to be able to do the things that they already do, just give them different pathways of getting the job done. Thus, and I hate the word cross-training, but taking some of these other disciplines and applying it to their training in some form or fashion. And so, yeah, that's when we started getting to the ground. And (laughs) I loved Stanford because we had a, literally a half-court size wrestling room. It was huge and it had padded walls all around it the safest place these kids could possibly be, right? And vestibularly, we found out who is actually like with it or not. You do about three somersaults and all the kids are about to puke. And that's when I realized, oh, inner air fluid is probably pretty solid. Vestibularly, they have some things that they need to get. Like they they haven't even experienced this. I'm like, that's that's going to be an automatic performance enhancement right then and there. Yeah. And so then we started low level pushing and grappling you know, just very bare stuff. Like obviously we're not striking or takedowns or anything like that. Last thing I need is a scholarship athlete or professional athlete getting hurt doing my drills. You're fired. Oh man, with the quickness. (laughs) I'm very, very replaceable when it comes to that type of stuff. But um, I had this great, um, a great friend at Stanford. His name's Aton Gelber. This dude's like one of the most badass dudes you'll ever meet, but he's actually sports medicine, which that's not where you think you'd get a badass dude, but this dude's legendary. But he took me down to the uh, wrestling room. This dude was like an alternate team judo or for Israel and like Israeli special for Like this dude's like legit. But he took me through all these partner training drills. And that's where I was like, man, I'm super gassed. And all we did was like push-ups on each other, pulling and tugging on each other, like all this just random stuff. And I'm sitting there like, man, this is all the work capacity a guy needs and I'm not beating up their joints. Because that's the thing I don't think a lot of people understand. Like don't get me wrong, when you're, yanking on someone's leg and you're trying to put them in a submission, of course that's yanking on their joints. But, you know, plyometrics is what's beating up people's joints. So if I can take them in a wrestling room and we can do capacity this way, oh man, like there's nothing more tiring than fighting someone. I don't care how many suicides you run. When you're pushing and pulling against someone, nothing is more exhausting and humbling than that. And that's where we always started. And that's what I loved about Stanford. We had that big weight or uh, wrestling room. And our first drill, you'll love this, is get um, no-handed get-ups. So essentially, it was my assessment tool. And this is how I looked at movement proficiency. So I'd have them, all right, guys, in the weight room or in the wrestling room, everybody take a sit. All right, now everybody stand up. All right, everybody get back down on the ground and stand up. All right, we're going to do that 50 more times. 
and the looks on their eyes like 50 more times and I just hearing bitching complaining like whatever what what are we doing all right guys we're about halfway through all right no hands now like what like yeah you can do just get up just don't use your hands and then that's when you start seeing everything change so they start dominating on one side so like one guy's got really good IR on his right hip but he doesn't like that on his left hip they flop down on the ground so they have no eccentric control they they have no single leg stability these are the things I'm just picking up as they're doing it, and they're getting a great workout. Oh my god, <laughs> great workout! If you want to just a, a workout, like just to beat the hell out of you for no reason, just from a from a fatigue standpoint, just sit up and sit on your or stand up and sit down without using your hands for 50 reps is pretty solid. But because of that, I was able to see a lot of movement proficient or inefficiencies. So that's where that that's where movement assessment begins with me. <laughs> yeah, it's such a big one. Uh, I mean. My buddy, Dr. Andy Galpin's posted a lot of cool things um, from his research, but just, you know, and, and others, but like, you know, grip strength being such an important factor when it comes to longevity and our ability to get up and down from the floor being such a huge determinant factor. Obviously, you know, if somebody's got a hip injury from falling, things like sure. that, if you don't know how to fall or don't know how to engage the ground, but it's, it's even just the strength of getting up and down off the ground that matters. And it's, you know, all of these things are um, traits that we can lose over time if we don't practice that. So if you go from your car to the couch to bed that's raised off the ground to now you have this geezer fucking bathtub they put in that has a door in it so you can sit there, you know, and you never actually touch the floor, that's a problem. But before we get there, you know, if we can, there's, there's a couple of ways that we learn really important things. One, we learn from the best athletes in the world and we backtrack that. For sure. Also, we learn from the worst in the world, people that are about to die. And we backtrack that from like, how are these people dying? Okay. Like, don't do that. Oh, well, if we change this <laughs> thing now, we can get ahead of it, you know? Right. And that's such a big one. Um, I hate Turkish get-ups. Yes. absolutely hate them. Of all the exercises, you For know, sure. I've, I've done a lot of Pavel's training and even some of the Coach Sumner stuff, uh, gymnastics bodies when he was on Tim Ferriss's podcast back in the day. Great, great stuff. I hate get-ups, but it makes so much sense. And it's funny because like, if I haven't done jujitsu in, in a while, just break falling and coming back up is such like a tiring thing. Mm. And that's how I know like, oh, I'm way out of jujitsu shape. If I'm getting gassed in the warm-up, just from doing these simple exercises where I'll break fall, shrimp, shrimp, stand up, technical right. stand up, that kind of stuff. Right. Like if that's getting me, then I'm really not in shape. It right. doesn't matter how far I can run. It doesn't matter what else I can do. And basketball players do hit the ground a lot, you know, and, they, and it is physical. It's not a collision sport, but it's a contact sport. So learning how to hand fight, hit position, all that stuff matters. And um, it's funny, you know, we're talking quite a bit about basketball and obviously that's, that's alongside strength and movement patterns what your wheelhouse is um, for people listening to this, like all of this shit matters to you. And it mm -hmm. matters because there are gaping holes in your training right now that, that, I, that will result in a problem, right? If for you sure. have hella mobility, like my wife, she could be a contortionist, hella mobility. And all she does is train yoga, right? She's not making herself stronger, right? That can lead to injury, Facts. right? If you're stiff as Mark Bell and strong as an ox, but you are not doing anything to mobilize your body, that too can lead to injury, sure. right? And then whatever, if you love yoga, cool. If you love powerlifting, cool. But whatever your love is, if, you're, if that's taken away from you, that fucking sucks, 
Wow. I mean, I had my knee torn and for a year I couldn't, it was in jujitsu from an inside, inside heel hook. I had to tell my three-year-old, I, daddy can't run. Oh. I hurt my knee. And I'm like, I'm not being paid to do this anymore. What am I fucking doing? Right. You're like, that's so stupid. And it happened. It was an ego thing. I didn't want to tap to this guy because he wasn't a black belt. I have the exact same story. <laughs> and mine was a 10-year ego binge. And that's the part that I'm like, I'm looking into now, especially now that I made the jump to the NBA. And I was like, I made the biggest mistake. So I went, when I started, I cared about, you know, aesthetics. So I was like, I want to look the part, right? I got to look like a strength coach. So I got a body build. I got a power lift. And then, oh, yeah, you know, good strength coaches know how to clean and snatch. And that's what you should do with your athletes. So, yeah, I'm going to be really good at cleaning and snatching. And then, oh, yeah, you got to sprint pretty well. But at that point, you've trained to be so big and strong. You trained to, to look a certain way that you just made yourself the most sagittal beast on the planet, which has nothing to do with sport. And so I go from when I first stepped foot on campus, I was 148. Then by the time I left, I was like 187. And then as I'm going through the ranks, it's like 15 pounds, 15 pounds, 15 pounds. So when I started at the, in the NBA, I was 220. Damn. And I was like, yo, I'm here. Like, I am the strength coach. <laughs> Everybody else, you guys are small, right? And I felt awesome. And they don't need me for that. And they're like, Corey, you play college basketball, right? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, come out here and do some passes and then you know, dribble off some ball screens and pats. I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm out there like slapping the ball, like, you know, your football guy who's playing pickup. And I was sitting there like, yo, like, I got to show these guys I'm saucy, you know, but I've trained myself to be in such extension and then my feet to be and my legs to be in external rotation just to create stability that when that fight or flight, like someone slaps my leg or I got to run real fast, I go into those extension-based patterns. And that's great for stability. That is not great for athleticism. That's not great for speed and movement. So now I'm backtracking all you have of- all fight, but no flight. 100%. I have all fight in, in right here. Yeah. <laughs> but if you ask me to flight and then do something, that's a problem. It's a huge problem. And then my fight, I'm going to be wore out like that anyways, because yeah. I have no capacity. So that's when I started, I was like, oh my God, I got to get back in basketball shape. And right before I came to the NBA, I tore my Achilles, which that was, I will take two ACLs over one Achilles any day of the week, any day. But because of that, that's when I realized I was was 220 then and I was playing pickup and that's how I did it. And I'm like, I have no supination and pronation of the foot. I just stay in supination. Like I got the hardest like arch you've ever seen in your life. So I'm not allowing my foot to do anything. So it only has one strategy to accept force. And same thing going up the chain, you know, and that's where I'm like, oh, I just became the sagittal beast. And now I can't move well. And when I do move, it has such a cost on my body. And then I think, yo, what's all the training I've applied to these guys for the past 10 years? I was like, now concurrently because of their training age, sure, I could train them like an asshole, like, okay, powerlifting, bodybuilding, you know, Olympic lifting, and they'll be fine because concurrently they're still playing basketball and we're running and jumping and sprinting. So then I thought, oh my God, why didn't I do the same? Like, why didn't I at least play pickup two times a week or do anything from a movement standpoint? But I was so focused. My ego was so focused on being the biggest guy in a suit on a bench. And it, it, it bit me. It bit me hard. And now I'm going backwards. Now I'm down to 207, but like a very frail 207. So I got to figure that one out. Um, but now I'm dealing with my opposite Achilles, 
because once one goes, the other one, it's it's coming at some point. And so now I'm trying to fight that battle, but that's where like, I, I think I got to get down to like a 193 and get as strong as I possibly can there and then just move really, really well. And that's yeah. where I went from, man, you got to look this way. You got to put off this facade. You got to be the strength coach to now I'm like, Man, I'm cool just looking like, yeah, he can, I think he can play pickup if he wanted to. <laughs> so I had to remove that ego because that's what was asked of me, you know? And that's what I realized, like, out of all of this <laughs> that I tried to create for myself, I realized that all that baggage I literally put on my back was just weighing me down. And I'm like, man, I wish I can go back in time and just... Why did I train like an asshole for so long? <laughs> but, well, it's fun to explore the extremes, right? Like, for sure, there's no doubt about that. For sure. I had um, I had a when I finished fighting and I started training with Jesse Burdick, uh, and and occasionally we'd have Bell come in town or we'd go up to him, and occasionally House would come back in whenever they were, they were playing the 49ers. We oh. get to train with him, and Uwe would come over, and it was awesome, man. I learned so much from Jesse, and um, you know, his surrounding guys, and it was it was hard training. You know, it wasn't like it wasn't easy strength and I fucking loved it. And I put on good weight and I was still training jujitsu and there was a beautiful blend there. And then when I moved, I just kept up with the heavy strength training and trained less on the mats, you know? And I remember rolling with Robert Drysdale and Drysdale, there are black belts and then there are long time black belts, mm -hmm. you know, like the OG black belts, right. you know, and, and Drysdale, would fuck me up under any circumstances. I'm not trying to, Robert, if you're listening to this, uh, <laughs> I stand no chance. But, you know, I came in at like 2.38, yoked. Yeah, feeling awesome. Yeah, feeling great. <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't, he was breathing through his nose the whole time, didn't break a sweat. I needed two rounds off and I was doing Wim Hof breathing on the sidelines. <laughs> like I was fucked up. Right. I was so gassed and it was effortless for him, you know? And I was thinking about that. And I was like, well, he can do that to me no matter what at this stage of my development, but I can also be better at recovering. I can also not right. try to move this much mass, you know, which is just, doesn't matter if I'm stronger than him in one direction. What's His it technique's always going to beat that, <laughs> right. you know, and how I move and how I feel in everyday life actually does matter to my quality of life. Like it right. really matters. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's a number for each of us that we find by being really strong or being really light and mobile and running, you know, ultras or whatever the fuck that is right. at, the, at the lightweight and somewhere in between where we get the best of both worlds. And, you know, that, that meant losing about 15 pounds of muscle for right. me. You know, like if I'm in the low two twenties, that's where I feel my best. I can do yoga. I can go for a 5k or a 10k run and I'm not beat up from it. I can get on the mats and do jujitsu and not get tired after one round, you know? So I think that's, that's an important one. One thing I wanted to jump in on, um, and tell you about since you're having issues with this other Achilles, uh, BPC 157. Oh, 100%. Dude. I did that for uh, Achilles 1. Yeah. It Achilles is so one. special. You can take yeah. that pro prophylactically. Oh, I didn't know that. Totally. Yeah. Uh -oh. And that okay. will help okay. any any stickiness in your joints. For everyone listening, I mean, refer to the podcast I did with Brigham Bueller from Ways to Well. They're a telemedicine company that specializes in peptides and hormone replacement therapy and all sorts of goodies. But, um, phenomenal stuff but like the, the Achilles the study they did which is uber fucked up right. is they severed the, the fucking Achilles <laughs> right, the of rats, rats. Yeah. <laughs> the control group got nothing 
and let's the, see how long it takes you to recover naturally. Uh, and then, uh, and then the people, the group that got BBC one five seven, I think they recovered six times faster. It was, on, it was like, absurd. I forgot who said it, but it's like the Wolverine drug. Yeah, is what they call it. Yeah, and yeah. it's this is the same amino acid structure as gastric gastric juice. Yep, like it's not a foreign thing. Like your it's body not synthetic. It. Yeah, you know, it's just yeah, exactly. And that's what I mean. I think the world of peptides is really coming up. It's going to be interesting how they regulate it, but it's coming yeah. up. Yeah, but certainly, I mean, you think of things like that, and it's like, and this is a whole topic we don't need to get into. But I certainly <laughs> have seen. You know, when I fought, it was a different era, pre-USADA. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Post-USADA, different game. Right. Um, but when you think about performance-enhancing drugs, what they're actually, what are what are they actually enhancing? That should be a more nuanced conversation, I think. Right? right. Like if it's going to enhance recovery, but not lead to strength gains or two tenths off your hundred meter. Right. Then that that you know it might be, or if it's if at least in the circumstance of injury, like hey, you can't use this while you're competing, but to recover from a head injury or to recover from right. a blown out knee, we're going to allow it. I think I think that's where we should land somewhere in the future. But anyway, that's a side note. We don't well, need to rabbit hole that. I mean, I'll say this: like the NCAA, it was like, yeah, don't take caffeine. Like what? Like don't yeah. don't take a coffee. <laughs> like <laughs> there's certain things that I think like if you got to the championship level, like you actually had to like get tested for caffeine. And I'm like, come on, man! Like when there's I was, certain things out there, it's like what are we do? What are we doing now? You silly, know? silly shit. Yeah, and the, you know there there are pro athletes at that point. Like that's a whole another debate right, too. But sure. they're pro athletes. Like fucking, let's put them on the pro athlete program. Right. When I was at ASU, they had the Wizenator five thousand. I think uh, the running back from Minnesota got caught with it traveling. It was a fake dick <laughs> that came in seven <laughs> seven different colors. Oh, I get it now. Yeah. I get what and you're it, saying. And it had uh, like a fake uh, fake urine pack you could put in. And he got busted with um, it. He got busted with it. But I, that's how I got through ASU. Oh, so there wow. was that was that was a gold standard <laughs> back then. It was two hundred bucks. They used to sell it at the weed shops. You know, you'd go in, get a bong, get a Wizenator. and uh, remember, <laughs> we almost got caught because I, I yet let one of my teammates use it, who was um, he's half black, half white, so he's oh, a couple shades darker shades than different. me, right? But he had the he had my white fake penis that he was using <laughs> to piss out of, and the guy looked over the, from the NCAA, and he was like, "Hey, I know that's not your dick." <laughs> um, <laughs> If you don't test clean, I'm gonna say this is the thing, and I saw it. You know, thankfully right. uh, oh, tested clean. So that was that was, that was a funny little insider thing, and I'm not hopefully not we're out of the what is it the statutes of limitations there you know, go. It's earlier than 20 years. <laughs> but let's talk let's talk recovery because when people get hit, like I'm 39 now, the older you get, when you get hit with an injury. It fucking hits hard. Yeah. It's not like you're a kid who breaks his leg and fucking two, you know, eight weeks later, you're running around like it never happened and you're stronger for it. Injuries can really sideline people. And BPC-157 and all the peptides aside, which is phenomenal stuff, I highly recommend it for people, especially upon injury. Um, you created a really cool program to reverse engineer explosiveness <laughs> to reverse engineer like like what are the actual movement mechanics of deceleration and actually strengthening the body when you can't hit a triple extension right so talk about that because this is yeah. this is one of the things that drew me in when, when i was chatting you know i don't i don't talk with mark bell often but when we do we'll catch up we'll spend you know 30 40 minutes on the phone when we catch up once every couple of months and he's always telling me like all right kingsbury who should i get on my podcast and tell me about the drugs that you're taking you know? <laughs> like well we call those medicines but here's what i'm on you know and um 
you know, he'll, he'll tell me about the guys he's had on. I remember him telling me about you and he was talking about the kettlebells. Yeah. And I was like, I mean, I'm here at On It. We're making kettlebells. And I'm like, how have I never heard of this? Right. This sounds insane. This sounds so fucking cool. It's probably the most fun thing ever. And I got it from this uh, amazing human being named Tony. And he has this kettlebell partner passing certification. So you can add kettlebell partner passing um, if you want to go through his process. But he introduced it to me when I was at Stanford and it was really for more like flow. It was flow state stuff. It had nothing to do in my head with the performance enhancement aspect. Like it didn't have anything to do with tissue adaptations, but it was just, it looked cool. You're literally throwing a kettlebell back and forth with a partner. Like I thought that was dope, right? Like who doesn't think that's cool? Like, so that's how it started. And then I forgot about it. Like I just kind of like just, all right, that was cool. Kind of like the same thing with the tumbling with the Ethan Reeve. And then I tear my Achilles. And when I tore my Achilles, I'm like, oh my God, like, how am I going to get back? Because my goal is to get back as fast as any other human ever got back. And I played pickup five and a half months after my Achilles, by the way. So I felt pretty good about that. But then I was like, at that point, I didn't chance it anymore. (laughs) But I had to think, how am I going to get jumping back without jumping? How am I going to get that type of eccentric load? So eccentric RFD. So that's the lowering phase of the jump. Because yes, the jump is important. Everybody wants to train for the output from the bottom up. But what really sets up that jump for that to even happen is how fast you can load yourself. How much, it's like pulling back a bow and arrow, right? How fast and how strong can you pull back that bow so when you release it, it's gone. Or like a rubber band. And so I needed that rubber band part because I definitely couldn't do the concentric part. I couldn't jump. So then I was thinking, well, how am I going to get fast speed down? And then I remember the kettlebell partner passing. Like to receive that kind of load, to grab that kind of kettlebell that's being thrown at you. I mean, that's absorbing force, right? Or however else you want to term it. So when I was going through, I was like, oh, that's what's going to get my Achilles back. And sure enough, I... Now, luckily at Stanford, I had interns out the wazoo. So I got the, I had test dummies, I had like training dummies, you know, <laughs> so I got to put them through the ringer, but luckily they were awesome enough to uh, go with my experiment. One of them's actually with me at Phoenix now with the Suns. He's awesome. Anyways, we're, uh, so this is kettlebell partner passing. So now we're actually throwing this. So it looks like a swing, but it's a little bit more squatty than what you typically see from like a more hinge like movement, like a swing. So it's like a mixture of a swing and a squat, but essentially you, we are literally throwing back and forth a kettlebell. And so when I was originally doing this for flow state, because it takes a ton of concentration and it can be no distractions to be able to give your partner a good pass. But then it became a training, uh, like a uh, like tissue adaptation tool. And so then I started doing high volume and then me and my buddy who's with the uh, Memphis Grizzlies now, he's the assistant, Eric Schmidt, he's awesome. Uh, we work, We did. We call it a world record because we haven't seen anybody else do it. We took the two hundred three. I think that's is it two hundred three or two hundred six. I think it's yeah. It might be two hundred three. The two hundred three pound kettlebell. And we threw it hundred. That's the hundred kilo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did that uh, one hundred and twenty six times unbroken. Damn. Uh, and we got it on film too. So like <laughs> Guinness hit me, you know, because I want that world record. But we threw that thing one hundred and twenty six times unbroken. But from that, and once again, I can't jump, I can't run, you know, I can't do the, the plyometric aspect, I can't do the elastic things that my Achilles hopefully will allow me to do again one day. And then all of a sudden, my super fat, torn Achilles, like recovering from surgery, started thinning up. And when I saw that, I was like, 
this is it. I'm getting the eccentric load, but I'm not putting it at risk because I'm not actually like coming off the ground and then landing. So I'm getting all the benefits from landing without ever jumping. And so that's when I knew I hit something. And so that's when we started doing a lot of passing. And so my, I mean, holy posterior chain. Like if you want something, like to me, nothing got me in shape faster and nothing got me stronger than that. Because after just doing that alone, I go back to deadlifting, my grip strength's ridiculous. And all of a sudden that five, whatever I hit, like 526 or whatever it was, felt like I was riding a bike. And I'm sitting there like, yo, I've never worked up to like be strong at a deadlift. But now I, now I just pick that up no problem. And I'm sitting there like, this is special stuff. But it's like when you look at the power lifts, even the Olympic lifts, you're never catching it that fast. Like when you catch a clean, it's weightless at that point because it's up in the air, right? Unless you let that thing come all the way down on you, like it's kind of weightless. Same thing with a squat. Like you're just grinding slower speeds. You're just... Grind, 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 grind. You're just creating all these co-contractions. The most beautiful thing about partner passing is it's the same as athletics. It's contraction and relaxation. And when you have that simultaneously, then you have athleticism. So now I'm not only learning how to turn my muscles on, I'm learning how to turn them off. And now I'm creating efficiency. And when you create efficiency, that's when you have movement. And so that was was really, really special about this partner passing. And then you know, to challenge ourselves from a vestibular aspect, we started doing one arm passing. And then we started doing chaotic passing. And then it was like split lunging. So my favorite now to do self-prescribed is, or when you're by yourself, is a split lunge. So basically you're taking a kettlebell, you drop as fast as you can, and you land in a split stance. Then as you come up, you flip it in the air, grab it with the other hand, and now cyclically you're going one leg into another. So it's like an explosive walking lunge in place, but it's one of the best ways to hit your glutes. By far, by far. Like just if you do that for a Tabata for 10 seconds on, 20 seconds off for eight minutes, you're walking away sore for the next three days. It's yes. unbelievable because the amount of eccentric rate or the amount of eccentric load you are getting from that is way more than you'll get from any other means and methods, getting leg presses or heavy squats. Like it's way more in the shortest amount of time. So the efficiency of it, it's amazing. Yeah, that's uh, you're training gait, you're training twisting and rotation, you're training exactly. all sorts of stuff. Grip still involved, hand-eye coordination, uh, central nervous system fully activated. I, I forget which book it was in, but and it might have been Easy Strength. But Pavel was talking about a study he did at Waterloo, I think, in Canada, where he brought you know his standard twenty-three or twenty-four twenty-four kilo kettlebell, um, and he was he was on a, a metal plate that could gauge the force that he uh, was force bringing plates. to it. Yeah, yeah. force plates, right? Yeah. And he's doing, he's doing swings with 24 kilos and it was generating over 500 pounds of force at his feet, right? That's how hard mm-hmm. he's throwing and hiking that fucking kettlebell in between his legs. And his body doesn't know the difference. But that's right? velocity. But yeah, yes. exactly. He's training yes. speed. He's training the the on, off, on, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and he talked about that same thing you just mentioned. It's it's contraction, relaxation. You know, it's it's accelerating and squeezing as hard as you can and then relaxing into that. It's like a sprinter doesn't grind through the run. Facts. They go as fucking hard as they can and then they they soften as much as they can. As hard, as soft, hard, soft. But you, got a, you got a heavy squat. <laughs> you got a heavy deadlift or else you'll never be athletic. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. I but, mean, so that, having, having that, you know, those things parallel in the sport so much, you know, and something that I've been doing 
for probably the last six weeks, I've talked about it on a couple of times on this podcast, is the Easy Strength Program, where you just pick five, five lifts. You have an upper body push, an upper body pull, something big for the lower body, like a hinge or a squat, and then something dynamic like kettlebell swing or kettlebell uh, snatch, and then like the ab wheel. But you right. never go above 10 reps. Are you familiar with it? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Easy strength is, uh, it's funny you bring that up because you you said it like three or four times now and I'm sitting there like every time I'm like, that's my cornerstone book. Like I want to say that like that, if I recommend any book to any new strength coach or someone who's an aspiring strength coach or just any human being who wants to be more awesome, easy strength is the best way to start. Hands down. But anyways, proceed. Yeah, well, it fits, it fits right in with the conversation. You're like basketball players are Q3 guys. Yeah, 100%. Right? So they, they break down the quadrants. Unless you're quite, you know, a specialist, like a powerlifter or a discus thrower or a sprinter, um, most people are not that, unless there's some college athletes listening, right? Um, Q4, you have, the, you know, your sport, but you also need size, right? right? So that's a football player that needs some hypertrophy work and things like that, in addition to sports-specific training, in addition to general strength, but... Most people are Q3. Most athletes are Q3. Mixed martial artists, basketball players. And most people that aren't doing shit that want to get into shape, you're a Q3 also. 100%. You're not a specialist, right? Like you're, and you're not, like, you're really that. not. Like right. You should be doing Q3 stuff. And if you have any type of householding demands, like you're a parent or you work 40 hours a week, like you fall into Q3. 100%. So like the, the, how they break that down is such a beautiful thing, but- when I remember when you were talking about to Mark about you know picking that one exercise and just doing it day in and day out. Oh, microdosing. Yeah, the microdosing, and I was uh, like, yo, a kudos for the microdosing call on <laughs> you it. You like right? that? I love that. <laughs> but B, um, that's a primer that doesn't burn somebody out, and that's a, that's a that's a huge. Like when I first read that, I was like, wait a minute. And the, even at the end of that, they get into the even easier strength, and that's mm-hmm. where Steve Justice singles came in. And you know, guys that have been deadlifting their whole lives can gain a hundred pounds on their deadlift by deadlifting every day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that, that what? How could you deadlift every day? Like that'll fry your fucking nervous system. And they're like, wait a minute. Enjoy. Not if we train at 50, 60%. <laughs> Of our one rep max, then we're never hurting the nervous system, right. right? Then we never do that. And if we move our 50% up, up 50 pounds, that might be 75 pound increase on our one rep max, right? You know, and most importantly, we're never sore and that we can do the things that we want to do. Like if it's playing pickleball on the weekend with our friends right. or fucking whatever, going to an ecstatic dance and not feeling <laughs> stiff, whatever your thing is. To leave the workout with more energy than when you started, to not walk around sore because you got a six-year-old that wants to hang on your neck and do all this other shit, to have the ability to walk. Like I walk from on it, sports performance, where I do this workout across the street to 10th Planet and get on the mats and it's effectively warmed me up. It's so a when primer. You said, when you talked it's about finishing with that before practice, right? I was like, that they should, you should, that, that's a special point to make. Like your workout is bleeding up to them actually being able to practice better. They're not walking from practice, you know, from what strength training into practice, limping into the gym, ready right. to get hurt. They're walking in on fire, nervous system ready, all muscles ready to go, and they're better for it in practice. I would love to think that I was a really smart person and was like, that's what I'm doing. That's how I came up with this. But that was not even close to how the actual product came. How it came is it came from environment. And once again, being at Stanford, like the amount of stress that these kids go through on a daily basis. I mean, imagine as a freshman, 
I'm the smartest kid in my school. I do all these extracurricular activities. My whole community thinks I'm awesome and I'm great at basketball too. And then you go to Stanford and you're like the most irrelevant human being ever because you got like astrophysicists, you got like, you know, presidents of, you know, like other countries just, just walking into your classroom. I mean, it's like the amount of greatness that's surrounding you can be so intimidating. So just the social aspect alone, super intimidating. So that's a stress for an 18 year old at that. Then, oh, you got to be good at basketball. Well, that's a big jump. All of a sudden, you're going to high major basketball. So you're probably not even going to be the best kid on that team, much less you're the best kid your whole life. So now you're not the best kid on that team. And then, oh, you're going against other competition who more than likely you're going to run into some freaks and go, oh, maybe I'm not going to make it to the NBA because every kid that comes to college basketball thinks they're going to make it to the NBA. Even the college I went to, I had teammates that were like, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to go to summer league. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, like <laughs> I, I knew pretty quick that I wasn't going to the NBA. But so once again, when we look at stress holistically, it's like, wow, that's a lot of stress on a kid. And we haven't even lifted a weight or bounced a ball yet. So how can I take away that stress? Well, coming into the gym twice a day, one in the morning early for workouts, then going to school all day, and then, hey, come back. I need to warm you up before we go into practice, do a two- to three-hour-long practice, and then go to bed. I was like, that's a lot of stress. So I told Coach, I'm like, Coach, how about we just bring them in once a day? And then instead of me doing like this 10-minute warm-up that everybody hates doing anyways, just let me have 20 to 30 minutes, and I won't bring them in in the morning three or four times a week or two to three times a week. So now let's just lift every single day we practice. And so, boom, that was the birth of microdosing. So now every day we practice or play, we lift. And so just like easy strength, we pick one major lift. This is the one we're going to do, and it depends on the type of day we're having. So, for instance, if it's a game day, man, we are doing some very fast stuff. Cleans, snatches, trap bar jumps, things that are very potentiation or potentiated-oriented, if you will, like things that get them primed and ready to go. So when they hit that court, they're feeling bouncy hey, it's going to be a long, grindy practice. We're going to have a long, grindy training session. What is a long and grindy lift? A, long, a heavy deadlift or a squat? So we are complementing the stressors that they're going to have that day. So that's the idea is that it's a, it's a setup. I'm setting them up for the day they're about to have on the court. And so now, once again, I take that usual 45-minute long to an hour lift in season two to three times a week now all I did was just spread it out over five to six days. And so boom, microdosing. And then now I'm able to train them more often. So now I'm getting more motor learning. So now I can teach them more, which is amazing because if you, if you look at the motor learn or the, any motor learning research, if you do anything for a long period of time, you lose retention rates pretty fast. So if I'm introducing new movements and for an hour long, I'm like, we're doing this movement, doing this movement, then at some point, there's no benefits. At some point, they lose those gains, if you will, from, the, from just learning. So now if we're hitting similar stuff every single day and then we go into our heavy lift, well, now by the time they're done with their freshman year, they've done more lifts than a college senior because of just repetition, just from sessions alone. And so now then we go into the pros, it's micro, micro dosing. There are certain guys I train three times a day it's crazy to think about, but if you look at a typical NBA game day, we have shoot around in the morning, then we come into the arena, they have their individual shooting time, which is before the game, so it's like an hour and a half before the game, then they have the team meeting, then they go into the game, 
and then there's post-game. So when you think about it, that's technically two, three, that's four opportunities to do some work. So now instead of having, having, hey, we're going to do a lift and steal resources away from what you do, which is play basketball, now we're going to, when you come in for shoot-around, hey, this is going to be more core work. And we're just going to wake the body up, get you out of bed. Right? We just got to get you moving so you feel good for shoot-around. So a lot of core, trunk, vestibular stuff, very simple stuff. Boom, going to shoot-around. Then it's their individual shooting. And this is where, this could be a little controversial, but I love little Franz Bosch stuff. Now, Franz Bosch, he's pretty brilliant in the terms of what he's doing as far as he's making athletes more athletic without adding more and more load. So he's not looking at it from a tissue adaptation standpoint. He's looking at it from a degrees of variability and motor learning standpoint. So the more variability I have within a skill like locomotion, aka sprinting, then the more stuff I get to do. So to give an example of some of the stuff he does, you've probably seen aqua bags, right? Aqua bags, aqua balls. So these are like the water bags that are used for resistance training. So these perturbations, so for instance, I can take the bag and operate it like I'm doing like a clean. So when I move that bag and I land it, the perturbations of the water make it challenging to stick it. So now let's imagine doing that with like a lunge. So I'm doing a lunge, but then I'm catching it like the bottom of a clean. So now I'm single leg and that's really going to challenge my balance, which muscle spindles, GTOs, like my joint is going to be prepared for a lot of things. So that's when we hit some of those type of movement patterns before they go into their individual shooting. Once again, motor learning. So now they're going into their shooting, they're feeling free, they're challenging some new things they haven't done before, but they're doing it at lower thresholds. So now if you do that for 72 times, which is what we did last year, 72 opportunities, that's a lot of opportunities. So for 10 minutes for 72 times, you add that time up, that's a lot of time. And so that's when we're doing more of our software work. So that's probably the best way to put it is pre-game, we're training their software. And then post-game, all right, whatever left you got, we're doing eccentric training. We're hitting all tissues now. So it's like Nordics, it's reverse chins, it's heavy push-ups, it's heavy rows, it's all those type of movements, whatever they got left in the tank. Because, man, we play 3.6 games in a week and we travel all around the nation. So their off days, I'm going to ask them to come in and lift. Probably not. And then how many? we had more back-to-backs this season than any other season. So those back-to-backs are pretty taxing. So thus, we have to micro, micro-dose their training just so that we don't have those negative consequences of lifting heavy for higher volume or for a long duration within one session. So now I'm not beating up their bodies. It's like I'm constantly priming them. It's really what it is. And then the opportunity that I can gas them, it's already after their competition because it's after the competition, directly after, that's the longest amount of time they're going to have to recover before their next competition. Mm. Perfect. So you get them already pre-waxed and you know they got the big break coming up. Exactly. So you hammer them a little bit. So it's, at yeah. that point, it's like, hey, right now you're about to get great food. You're about to get great rest. Cool. You know, and then that's where it's, it's interesting because as, as, a, as a typical strength coach, like my ego was like, we got to lift big. We got to have these long sessions. We got to, that's my validation. We got to, we got to go through our running program. And then after our running program, we come in and we hit our power movement, which is a clean. And then after that power movement, we got to hit our strength movement, which is a squat. And then I got to hit my accessories. It's like, why do I got to hit that all in one session? Why can I hit my accessories first thing in the morning? It's not that taxing on the nervous system. And then pregame, why don't I hit my power movement then? Because it's going to potentiate me. And then after the game, why don't I just hit my, my strength movement? 
because that's when I'm going to be, man, I'm going to be the most warmed up then anyways. So then at that point, I'm going to get all my benefits to spread out the stress. Oh yeah, brother. <laughs> <laughs> trying, man, trying. I love it. But that was all because of the environment. It wasn't because I'm a smart guy. It just became, like, I'm definitely not a smart guy. I'm just very observant. That's all. That's beautiful, brother. That's right. What, um, what do you see as things that have, that have, have changed since college to now working with pros in terms of any aspect from recovery to the mentals of the game to anything that you think would translate to people at home? And the NBA is just a different animal because it's like these are the most special human beings on the planet that do a specific task, which is basketball. So luckily, I get to watch the best athletes in the world 3.6 times a week, right? And when you watch them move up close, you start rethinking everything because you go, oh my God, these are the outliers. Like these are the outliers in life. But yet all of our preconceived notions about getting strong is with people that are not these people. (laughs) And so everything that you think that you're going to apply to these type of athletes from your essentials of strength and conditioning from your NSCA manual (laughs) is not, it's, it's not relevant. So you have to now truly run experiments and it's exploratory as can be. But once again, there's a few, like there's some time under tension things. There's some cellular biology. There's some physics that we're like, okay, we can't ignore. Like these are, but I'm driving from those principles and now applying it to these very special human beings that at any given time, they're just like the best athlete in the world and on top of everything. And then contracts and negotiations and bad relationships and all this thing just goes to the wayside. And so the amount of pressure and stress on these type of athletes, is completely different than what you see in college. And so that's where there is a lot of just human connection. Like the amount of trust that you have to have with an athlete at this level, it's like, it's high because they keep their circles super tight and this is their body. Like it's literally their livelihood. This is the thing that's could pay their grandkids, grandkids. And you're coaching their entire business. Facts. Yeah. Facts. It's like, oh my God. Like when you look at it that way, you're like, oh my God, it is a business. Like this whole thing is just a business. Like if I, if I overload him, I'm messing up his money. Like, and I'm messing up his potential lifelong earnings, you know? And these are the things you got to just heavily consider. And so when you're watching these guys and then you go, yeah, but these guys have never been studied. Like, how do you, like looking at some of these guys and how they create movements one, it's beautiful, but two, it's like, I've never seen a human being do that. And I've been in basketball my entire life. And it's like, how do you train that? How do I know the training methodology that I'm doing, that I've known for years and years to work is going to work with that particular athlete? Because they are that much of an outlier to normal human beings. And so from there, you start real small. So that's, if there's anything that I can take away from working with, especially at this level, with these type of athletes is, of course, they're freaks, but like, regardless if you're a freak or not, if you just take very small things and then explore within that small constraint and then load, I think we go to load too fast. I think load, don't get me wrong, load gives adaptations, but there's intent. And I think that's the, the real thing that I'm trying to say now is the intent to what you do will drive adaptations and per, uh, performance faster than you just going, okay, I just need to add heavy load and that's going to give you my adaptation. So the small, 
starting with very, very small things and then striving the intent marker. Like if I'm doing a split squat, what am I really trying to get out of this split squat? Well, I'm locked up sagittally, so I need to get a little bit more internal hip rotation because that IR of my front leg and that super, or excuse me, that pronation of my foot is going to allow me to be able to dissipate more force laterally. That's going to allow me to be a better athlete. I got to think about all that when I do a lunge. <laughs> like that's intense, right? But if you're that, and that's the best thing about working with these level athletes is they are that in tune with their body. They might not can articulate like what the talus bone is doing in their foot. They don't need to. They know what it feels like though. And so that's where it's so much fun because that's the exploratory part. But man, just taking, just driving intent more than it driving whatever you think the end result's going to be. I think that's the biggest takeaway. I like that. Yeah. And moving small too. It reminds me of uh, James Clear. You familiar with him? He wrote Atomic Habits. Uh, Phenomenal dude. He was on the podcast and, and he talked about Pat Riley, you know, when he was with, with, the, with the Lakers in the 80s and that they were my team. Like I'm from NorCal and... The Warriors are great, but I love I love fucking <laughs> for sure. I love watching Magic. I love I mean, you saw Showtime, man. Yeah, so I loved like... it. And um, <clears throat> one of the things that he was he was big on was not it wasn't mastery in any one particular thing. Like if a guy sucked at dribbling, it wasn't like your whole focus now is dribbling or your whole focus is defense. It's your right. worst at it. Wasn't that? And it wasn't your best at you know, three point shot. So that's what you're going to, that's what we're going to really focus on. Cause you're going to be our three point guy. He wanted everyone to get 2% better in every category. And he had five categories. It's like, we get 2% better in each of these categories every single day. And we just, that's all we're shooting for 2% every single day, you know, and there's a, an old, an old quote. I don't know if Lou Holtz came up with it, but he's old enough too. And, um, but it's it's a yard by yard, life is hard, inch by inch, life's a cinch. I like that. You know, yeah. and it's like it's just a brilliant thing, you know, because yeah. like whether we're starting, and I've made these mistakes myself, like having competed at such a high level, and it's like, oh, I know what I'm capable of. I can fucking go in here and crush my body, and it's like, well, I haven't right. done that in two months. Right? Maybe I just baby step it for a minute, you know, like, and and even like running, like I, I've I've run a 55k, and and I'm not built for that, but. I can go out and run a 5k just fine. And I was like, Oh, it's been a couple months. Right. Maybe I go with bear and I just run walk. Right. You know, right. the second he gets tired, I'll pretend I'm tired and walk with him. Right. <laughs> because right. I need to ease into this, you know, right. like let me go inch by inch and not get banged up. And the more I listen to that and adhere to that, the less injuries, the less layoff, the more consistent I can be. And the consistency seems to be the deal, especially with strength training, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's like the brilliance of what you're doing and the brilliance of easy strength. There's so many little gems in easy strength too, like on a spiritual level or, or an optimization level, you know, where they talk about um, if it's worth doing, do it every day. Yep. You know, yes. if something's worth doing, do it every single day. And it's like, well, how do I fucking deadlift every day? Well, oh, I, I, I can if I do it light, right. I can practice a movement pattern that trains the nervous system, but never taxes it. I can practice these things that actually translate. And um, I love the movement every day, right? If it's yeah. worth doing, do it every day. And that's how I convinced my coach. I'm like, we're coming into this white collar program at Stanford, right? Like these are a bunch of like soft kids. So we're blue collar coach, me and you. Yeah, we're blue collar. So we got to do it every day. And that's how I convinced him. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I like that. And I was like, yeah, bet. <laughs> It's awesome. But in, really, in reality, it's to do less. <laughs> yeah. Less is more. Absolutely, brother. Well, it's been fucking fantastic getting to meet you and have you on yeah. the podcast. I definitely want to do it again. Absolutely. I'll be, I'll be uh, 
I'll be watching you, man. I'm watching you already. But um, tell us where people can find you online. Yeah. Uh, any resources you want to give out? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram uh, at slash strength, S-C-H-L-E-S strength. Uh, that's where I post most of my stuff. But to be honest, I haven't been as active lately, you know, ever since I made the jump, but I need to get back on it. But that, man, that used to be my creative outlet. That was like my easel, you know, I, I love. But um, yeah, as far as resources, um, you know, Masterclass. It's like my favorite resource right now. Like I get a nice little Con Ed budget. And the only thing I wanted to do was buy a subscription to Masterclass because I'm not even kidding you. Like there's a graphic designer that I was listening to and watching their series and how they design. And there are so many parallels to how I program and how I organize. And I was like, oh my God, I can learn anything from anyone at any given time. If you're the best at what you do, I don't care what, I don't care if you're the best janitor in the world. How'd you do it? Like, I want to, I want to learn your methods because it's somehow going to cross pollinate with what I do. Fuck yeah. Beautiful brother. Awesome brother. Thank you so much. This yeah, was fun. Absolutely. Bro. Yes, sir. <laughs>